Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it, may be, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went down to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered her feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet, he said. Who are you? I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. As we just heard, uh, Ruth chapter 3, it uh, has you kind of on edge, um, on the edge of your seat as you're waiting for uh, this story to unfold. We hear Naomi's plan that she has come up with, and we wonder if, Boo, if, Booth, if Ruth and Boaz, maybe people call them Booth, who knows? Um, actually, we know. Uh, maybe, maybe they will continue to be these people of integrity, or will they do what was right in their own eyes like so many people did during the time of the judges? And my hope is that as we go through Ruth 3 today, that we recognize that we'll see these aspects, these characteristics of God's love as demonstrated uh, by Ruth and, and Boaz and Naomi. Uh, we, we see this, this waiting, this patient love. We see a love that cares and protects. We see a love that is pure. And, and we see how God uses others to demonstrate his love to his people, to, to be this, this conduit, this pipeline of his love to his people. So we jump into verse one and Naomi says to her, my daughter, 
Should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? So before we even get to what she said, notice the, the tone and the, and the outlook here. Um, notice what happens when you have hope, right? When hope is restored. She went from a person that just in chapter one said things like, I, I went away full, I've returned empty. She said, don't call me by my name, call me Mara, call me bitter, it's like last chapter, chapter two, that, that there were all these clouds, right? Like a rainstorm. And, and, then, and then after a long time of this, then a little bit of light breaks through. God had given them this abundance of food through Boaz, uh, who Naomi realized could be their kinsman redeemer, right? He could marry Ruth. And maybe he could continue the line of her dead husband and her dead sons, but she isn't only looking at herself now, right? She's, she's looking at Ruth as well. When life isn't going the way we planned, it's really easy for us to, to really not see any further than, than right here, right? To see my own needs and desires and miss others. But now she can see Ruth and she clearly wants what is good for Ruth. She says, shouldn't I seek rest for you? And this means more than Ruth not having to work so hard in the fields like she's been day after day. It means a husband, not this, not this life of, of being a widow that, that she had relegated herself to. It means protection. It means a home. While not guaranteed, it does mean a chance at having children after being barren for 10 years. And it certainly would mean full integration into Israelite society for this Moabite, right? She would go from a foreigner to being one of God's people. And maybe you notice the word that Naomi uses here. She says rest. Now, throughout the Old Testament, rest is not because people have earned it, right? It's not because God's people are so obedient, are so loving to him, are so faithful. No, it's a gift. It is God's undeserved grace on his people, and maybe when you think of rest in the Old Testament, you think of the Sabbath, which wasn't only a break from work, though it certainly was that. It was a remembrance of God's finished work in creation. And then we look at the New Testament and we read about this greater rest that is promised to God's people that awaits us for eternity with him. Naomi has a plan to get this rest for Ruth. And it will certainly provide rest for her as well. So Naomi shares her plan with Ruth. Last chapter, planning looked uh, much different. It, it was one day at a time planning. Uh, Ruth's plan on day one was, hey, we need food. I'm going to go out and try and glean some food. And, and sometimes that's how life is, right? Sometimes, uh, like the psalmist describes it, that God will, will uh, his word will be a light unto our path. But sometimes that light is just enough for that next step or maybe the one after that as well. And, and we, we probably don't like it that way, especially for the planners in the room. So you want to have a, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. But here, planning in chapter three is a little different. Naomi can see now how God might be providing for them. Now, does she know for sure? No, she doesn't. She has to trust God. She's got to hold her plan up to God with these open hands and wait on him. She knows that Boaz will be at the threshing floor winnowing the harvest. And in case it's been a little while since you've winnowed, let me remind you of the process. I haven't winnowed ever. 
Um, Boaz takes a tool, right, probably like a pitchfork, and he, he, he takes the barley and throws it into the air, and, and the light breeze blows away the chaff, and the heavier grain falls down. And he keeps doing this to separate the chaff from the desired grain. Now, day after day, Ruth has been out in the fields. She's been working. She's been around Boaz. They've certainly had conversations. But even if they were sitting right next to each other at lunch, there's a lot of people around. Not exactly the place to have a conversation about how great it would be to be married to him. But because he's at the threshing floor, there's a special opportunity. Right? She can get him by himself. So at the end of the day, Boaz would sleep next to the pile of grain. One, probably because there's so much work to do. He doesn't want to waste time at the end of the night walking home and then getting up super early to walk back. He just wants to wake up, roll over, and, and start separating the, the grain. He also probably wants to be uh, uh, protecting his grain. So verse 3, Naomi tells Ruth that she's to wash herself, to anoint herself. Right? Boaz has seen uh, working sweaty, stinky Ruth. And now it's time for Ruth to look her best. Perhaps you've been uh, on a first date right? and you, you, you try to wear clothes that you think make you look good. You buy products that make you smell better than you naturally do. So maybe that's what's going on here, but there's more to it than that. I think there's some symbolism here. There's an interesting connection here to a, another Old Testament story in 2 Samuel 12, uh, King David his, uh, his son is dying. His baby is dying. And he's been fasting and praying. Said he's laying on the ground all night, praying for his son. And then, tragically, uh, his son does die. And he finds out, and he goes. He washes himself. It says he anoints himself with oil, right? What it says here. And it's because his time of mourning was over. And I'm not saying he didn't carry that sadness with him over the loss of his son. He certainly did. But he also needed to move forward. He had other responsibilities that, that he, had to, he had to fulfill. And certainly Ruth has mourned the loss of her husband. She's mourned the loss of this life that she'd envisioned. And it was time for what was next in her life, what God had for her. So Naomi told her, uh, uh, to go where Boaz would be, to not reveal herself yet. She was to wait until he had eaten, in, in, until he had had some drink. Now, he wasn't drunk here. He's just satisfied. And there might be a good rule of thumb here to wait to approach your guy until after he has a full stomach before proposing big life changes, possibly. I don't know. So she goes, and she waits. And she's hiding somewhere where no one will see her. And Boaz is, is no doubt with others. They're working hard to complete the harvest so she can't be seen. And, and I don't know if you've hidden before, probably while playing a game, you probably haven't really had to hide like this, but you've hidden, and, and it's amazing how loud your heartbeat is in your own head. Verse 4, Naomi gives very sound advice. She, she says, observe the place where he lies. Right? Can, can you imagine? It, it's dark. She walks up, she finds this guy laying down on the ground, uncovers his feet only to find out that it's the wrong guy. Not only embarrassing, but potentially dangerous. So she's to note where he is. And then she's supposed to uncover his feet and lay down. And I'm sure Ruth at this point, as she's listening to the plan, taking in the instructions, she's thinking, okay, and then what? And Naomi simply says, he'll tell you what to do. Right, that's it, that's the plan. 
But Ruth responds, she says, all you've said I will do. Now this plan, I don't know about to you, but to me, it sounds a little risque. Uh, even just the words uncover and lay down, right? Both of those words don't necessarily have to do with intimacy, but as a hearer, you can't help but wonder because, because those words certainly can carry these sexual overtones. So we're listening to this and we're thinking, man, this, this plan could go from PG to R really fast. We're wondering what will happen with verse six. So she went to the threshing floor, did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down, right? Ruth was doing just what Naomi said. And you just can imagine the adrenaline that must have been pumping through her veins. She's tiptoeing around. She's trying to breathe quietly. Man, when you're hiding, it is amazing how loud you breathe. You're like, why has no one told me what a loud mouth I am? We don't know if she had any close calls, but, but she's hiding behind something nearby. She's watching, she's waiting. No doubt she's, she's rehearsing this simple plan in her mind, repeating to herself what Naomi had said. And I'm sure that she's praying as well. And you can imagine her trying to discern if Boaz had fallen asleep or not. If you uh, have had uh, kids uh, or if you've ever maybe babysat little kids, sometimes some of them have a hard time falling asleep, right? And, and like some of my kids, they've, they've wanted me when they're really little to wait in the room with them as they fall asleep, right? So uh, like with my youngest, she's got a bunk bed, she's in the top bunk and I would, I'd lay down on the lower bunk and, and the whole time I'm just, I'm listening and trying to sense like, is she finally out? Like, can I move? And I'm listening to her breathing patterns. I'm listening to how much she stirs. And then when I think it's been long enough, I'll probably give it a couple more minutes and then I push up on that bed and I'm like, why? Why is this bed so loud as it squeaks? And I take that first step and the floor sounds like a, a trombone just went off. And I'm stepping towards the door and I'm a couple steps away and I think I've made it. And then I hear this and I look back and her little head popped up and said, dad, where are you going? Oh, just getting water, sweetie. I'll be right back. It, it, it sounds uh, it's more difficult than it sounds, trust me. I'm sure for Ruth it was. And in this story, in this whole book, actually, we see these risks, right? And I just wonder, like, are we willing to take risks? Some of us, maybe many of us, are so averse to taking risks. Now, now this was a righteous risk. For all three people involved here, there's ramifications that, that extended beyond any one of them, right? It, it, her, uh, Ruth's risk it went to, to Naomi and to Boaz and, and likewise with, with all of them. Right? Throughout this story, we, we see, though, this commitment to others, this, this covenant faithfulness to uh, one another. And, and in this risk, they're the conduit of God's steadfast love to one another. So, so back to our story. Verse eight, he rolls over, he wakes up, right? His feet were probably cold. There's a lot of commentators that think that's what was going on with the uncovering of the feet there, which kind of makes sense, right? The, his feet are uncovered, a breeze comes, it wakes him up, and, and whoa, there's a woman laying at his feet. Verse nine, he says, I love how Jim said it. I hadn't imagined it quite that way, but who are you, <laughs> right? And, and right here, this could have blown the plan. Like, we don't know how close others are, but, but if he says it too loud, 
man, her, her cover could be blown here. And, and she responds, she says, I'm Ruth, your servant. And we've seen, we've seen Ruth use this word servant before to Boaz earlier in chapter two. And, but then the word that's used that, that we have translated as servant, the word that's used meant more like, like slave, right? It really couldn't have been a, a, a lower word. But this word, it isn't like that one, right? This word is r- relational. It's more personal. It's, it's, it's almost like there's, there's an invitation to relationship here. So, so Ruth answered his question, right? Like, it, it makes sense. He said, who are you? He answered the question. Now, according to Naomi's plan, Boaz is supposed to tell her what to do. So, so if there's like a camera, like we're panning back over to Boaz, but then all of a sudden Ruth speaks. Right? She, go, she goes off script here because she wants to make it really clear what her intentions are. She says, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks or if you've been reading in Ruth, this line sounds familiar to you because Boaz said this to her just last chapter. And now she uses his own words to propose marriage to him. But we've got to understand the significance here, right? Spread your wings over me, or, or some, uh, some translations have spread your garment over me. Uh, these, are, these are words used in the Old Testament to describe God's care and protection for his people. This, this phrase also here very clearly describes what a husband does for a wife. So she's saying, care for me. Protect me as a husband protects a wife. These were the words that Boaz used to refer to her coming under the the care and the protection of God's wings. So she's saying to Boaz, remember that prayer that you had for me. You can be the answer to that prayer. I'm asking you to be God's conduit of love and care and protection and blessing to me and my family. Be the redeemer of my family. So we come to verse 10, and if you've read this for the first time, you're just wondering, like, what is about to happen? How will he respond, right? We don't know if things are going to go PG to R here. Like, what is he going to say to her? Maybe he's going to say, what kind of woman are you? Get out of here. Never come back. But we're thinking, man, he's got to say yes, right? Like, why wouldn't he? Maybe, maybe he didn't think it was realistic, that, that, that Ruth, this younger woman, would be interested in him, but now he knows, so it just seems like a slam dunk. Verse 10, he says, May you be blessed my, by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. I'm guessing that Boaz, by this point, had already hoped. He he had already dreamed, imagined that maybe he and Ruth could marry. But I'm I'm guessing there's an age gap here. He refers to it in that last verse. I'm guessing that that he had doubts. So there's a level of shock here. But notice he says she's a worthy woman. Everyone knows that about you. Right? You're a woman of, of excellent character, noble character. And we haven't even talked about this. There's been so many things to talk about. But doesn't Ruth so parallel the woman that we read about in, in Proverbs 31, this type of woman? And this is, this is no accident. Proverbs 31.10 says, An excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious 
than jewels. It is the same language here in in 3.11, this this woman of noble character. It's the same phrase. She's this picture of godliness, right? And this isn't just a picture of godliness for women. Both Boaz and Ruth, they're, they're pictures of godly character for both men and women to emulate. In the Hebrew order of the Old Testament, there seems to be a consensus that, uh, that Ruth, they placed it right after Proverbs. Right? So, so you finish Proverbs 31, an excellent wife, who can find, and then boom, you, you come to the story of Ruth. Uh, truly, she is a worthy woman. So back to our story, though. Uh, everything's going great, right? She proposed he didn't take advantage of her, right? He's the man of integrity that we had hoped that he would be on this night. Clearly, he's on the same wavelength as her. He's honored that she would pursue him rather than a younger man. Naomi's strange plan is working better than anyone would have guessed. Everything is going great until verse 12. He says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he'll redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. And you're like, what? Another guy who can redeem? The stinking narrator didn't tell us that, right? Who is this mystery man? And we don't know, but he's probably ugly and mean. I bet he kicks his dog, right? He's a total loser. It's like, come on, Boaz. Like, why? Why don't you just step in? But Boaz is a man of integrity. Of course he's going to do what's right. He's not going to cut corners. He isn't going to act in a shady way. No, he assures her that she will be redeemed. She will be married. Her mind must be racing. It just must have been spinning. In all the outcomes she imagined, I really doubt that this was one of them. So he tells her, stay here, right? Don't go out in the middle of the night and walk, walk home yourself, right? Even here, we, we see his protection of here. He says, lay down and, and wait. And I'm sure that neither of them slept a wink that night. Boaz is laying there and, and, and he's imagining how this conversation with this nearer redeemer than him uh, is gonna go down. And, and you know what that's like, right? You imagine uh, difficult conversations, or at least I do, right? And I don't just, I don't just imagine the words in my head. I get like so into it that then my lips start moving and then someone notices and I'm super embarrassed and I lie. I say nothing. I, I don't know what happened. My lips were spasming. Um, no, no doubt Boaz is, he's carefully crafting his interaction with this other possible redeemer as he lays there. And there lays Ruth, knowing that within a day, she's going to know whom she'll marry. And she has no control over that at all. She has no control of what will happen in the next day. Verse 14 and 15, they wake up early before anyone could recognize them. Right? Though the scene last night, uh, it, it was on the edge of being steamy. Nothing happened. They honored God. I remember the, the time that they lived in. It was the time of the judges where, where we read that everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. And I, I guarantee 
I, I guarantee that there, there was so much sexual promiscuity, so much sex outside of marriage. And, and yet these two continued to be pure and waited to be married rather than to give into what feels good in the moment. And, and in this, Ruth and Boaz are a great example to us. We live in, in this hyper-sexualized culture, maybe very similar to what it was like in the time of the judges. Sexual purity is treated in our culture as this antiquated relic of the past. And that is even true among Christians, that purity, sexual purity seems to be viewed as optional. And Boaz could have easily taken advantage of the situation that night. Or Ruth, she could have doubted that Boaz would take her proposal seriously without her giving himself to him. So then she could think in her mind that in order to seal the deal, that this is what I have to do in order to make sure that I'm redeemed. But neither of them did that. They trusted God's way with their sexuality, and that's hard to do. Whether you're married or unmarried, that is hard. To my unmarried brothers and sisters, and I urge you to trust in God's way. Honor God with your body. And I know that maybe for some of you, you've already crossed that line. I just want to say to you, man, God redeems. God loves you. He sees you. Yes, you've sinned in this way, but man, from here on out, trust him. Single brothers and sisters, be honorable when you date. Set boundaries. I don't recommend the Ruth 3 plan, right? Singles, don't put yourself into tempting situations. Laying down isn't a good plan. Going over to their place alone where, where one thing could lead to another isn't a good plan. Don't move in together. When you get engaged, don't fall for the trap of, hey, we know we're getting married, so it doesn't matter. No, trust God. Honor the marriage bed. Honor your fiance. And marriage, we're not off the hook. It is just as difficult for us. Honor God with your mind and with your eyes. Honor your spouse. Don't look at what you should not look at. Don't think about what is not yours, even though no one else may ever find out. Keep boundaries. Keep boundaries with your coworkers and friends and neighbors. Honor God. Honor your spouse. Like I said, verse 14, she lay down his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to town to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and he put it on her and she went into the city. So they get up early, even though nothing inappropriate happened, there's no sense in letting the town start a juicy rumor. And he gives her, I think, a ton more barley than before, right? It's so much that he has to pick it up and like lift it onto her. And again, I think like Ruth is, she's low-key ripped, right? She carries this thing all the way home. Now, Naomi, we haven't heard, but undoubtedly, she's woken up throughout the night, checking the window, maybe at every sound she hears, wondering if Ruth has come home early, maybe Maybe she wondered if her plan was crazy, certainly praying that Ruth would be okay, hoping that Boaz would say yes. And verse 16, it says, And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And this is translated in some different ways. Uh, some commentators think, think that she's saying here to Ruth, Are you married or what? You know, or, or uh, there's one, one way to translate it. This is, Who are you? Meaning, are, are you still a Moabite foreigner? 
or are you now an Israelite? Continuing in verse 16, then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And in verse 17, you might notice here, the narrator gives us a different detail, a detail that he withheld in the moment of verse 15. He told Ruth that she couldn't go back empty-handed to Naomi. Boaz isn't just thinking of himself, right? He wasn't only thinking about the conversation that he was going to have uh, that day with the nearer redeemer. He was thinking of Naomi. But, but this isn't like the, the Hebrew equivalent to a guy bringing flowers to the mom on a date, right? And notice the word he used here. He said empty-handed. It wasn't that long ago in chapter one that Naomi said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And maybe he'd heard these words. Maybe they'd trickled back to him of, of her return to Bethlehem and, and that she said, the Lord has brought me back empty. Well, Boaz is saying, not anymore. You thought God was against you. You thought God was going to leave you high and dry. You, you, you thought you wondered, does God even see me? God sees you. I see you. I'm gonna be the visible representation of God's love to you. So Boaz didn't just give them a ton of grain. He was given a promise, right? It was a vow that, that he was taking this, this clan, this familial responsibility seriously, that he would accomplish what he has set out to do for both of them. And Boaz isn't God, neither is Ruth, but they give us these glimpses here uh, of God's character and God's heart throughout this story. Boaz helps us remember who our God is and what he is like. And there are times when we feel all alone, when we, we feel empty, right? Like not just emotionally, but like deep in our soul, we feel this emptiness. We wonder if God even knows what's going on in our lives. Because if he knows, he sure doesn't seem like he cares. Maybe you remember that back in Isaiah when, when the Israelites said that. They said the very same thing. God, do you, do you see us? Do you care about us? And so often we don't know what God is doing. And we always need to be careful to claim that we do unless scripture makes it really clear. But we know God is at work, right? That he's going to bring glory to his name, that he is working for the good of those whom he has chosen. And we don't know. God might be setting the stage to demonstrate his great love for you, his great care, his steadfast faithfulness for, for you and for others around you. And at some point, or maybe at several points in your life, you have felt like Naomi did in chapter one, thinking, man, none of this was supposed to happen. This was not what I pictured. Certainly is not what I signed up for. Maybe you're thinking like, I would not have gotten married if I'd known it was gonna be this way. Or I never would have had kids if I knew that I was going to endure this pain or, or I wouldn't have signed up to be in this ministry if I knew how it was gonna go. Or I wouldn't have put myself out there with, with this friend or this friend group if I knew how they would betray me or, or, or whatever it is. We all feel this way. And if we haven't, you will at some point. And I know I'm, I'm pretty confident that in this room, we've gotta have some people that feel this way right now. Trusting in God is not easy. In our flesh, it, it just doesn't come naturally to us. And I think the reason is that because it means we're not in control. 
And the reality is we're, we're never in as much control as we think we are. So how are we doing at trusting God right now in whatever life's circumstances are? What steps do you need to take to trust God more today in your situation? And maybe there's a conversation that you're just afraid to have. Or maybe there's, there's some other specific action you, you, know, you know you need to do. Or, or maybe there's something you've got to let go of that you've just been clinging to. And God's slowly peeling your hand away. Or maybe you need to talk with God. Maybe the first honest conversation you have, you've had with God in a long, long time. I wonder if, if Ruth, as she's going home to Naomi, if she was thinking, man, Naomi's crazy planned work. Yeah, she'll tell me what to do now. And this is what she says in 18. She said, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Man, wait. Waiting's hard. And here, waiting means that Ruth has to trust Boaz. She has to trust God. I mean, everything is out of her hands right now. Literally, her future is completely out of her control. And maybe you know what that feels like, right? It can be so hard to trust. I don't know. I don't know if girls did this too, but boys at least, like school-age boys, sometimes you get bored in class. And, and, and you're in your chair, and you start to tilt back, right, on those back two legs. And, and you're just supremely confident that you have the skills. You, you're, the, you're the athletic person, right, that can pull this feet off, and you're just balancing there and feeling great. And, and then just when you get cocky, it seems like you lose control, and you start to fall backwards, and there's just this moment of like, oh, what did I do? I, I can't do anything about this. And, and sometimes that's what what waiting, just trusting God can feel like. Like I'm in this, this free fall and I can't do anything about it. But Naomi assures Ruth, she says, wait, Boaz will not rest until this matter is settled today. Right? They know the character of Boaz. Right? The man who's demonstrated his love, he's proven that he is worthy of trusting. Just like we can know God, that we can learn more and more about God, that we can come to his word and, and, and come to understand, to know who our God is. We, we can live with him and grow in trusting him. So now Ruth had to wait and trust. Naomi had to wait and trust. And maybe you noticed already that, that the beginning of this chapter and the end of this chapter are framed with the word rest. At the beginning, Naomi is seeking rest for Ruth. And now Naomi at the end says, Boaz will not rest until this is settled. Now, we don't have the guarantee that God is going to settle the matter that you're facing today uh, right away. We don't know that, but we ought to have even more confidence than Naomi had in Boaz. Right? Scripture reminds us over and over again that our God is always at work. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, maybe you remember this, he says, my father is always working and so am I. Paul tells us in, in Romans 8 that God is using everything, right? The, the, the worst tragedies in life to, to the, the, the greatest joys in life. He's using everything for the good of those whom he has chosen. He's, he's using it all to make us more and more like Christ. Scripture reminds us that God will accomplish what he set out to do. Maybe you remember in Isaiah, right? This, this reminder to God's people that God has the desire to save his people and he has the power, he has the means to save his people. The cross and the empty grave tell us that God has already won the victory, 
over sin and death. Isaiah reminded us over and over again that all of God's people will be gathered into this heavenly city, Zion, that the peace that we long for, even, even though the descriptions in Scripture might make it seem like a fairy tale, that there was one day we will know peace like that as we dwell with our Lord for eternity. Those who've trusted in Jesus' blood have every reason to wait to wait with confidence, even if it feels like you're in that out of control free fall. Now, all that is true for those who've trusted in Jesus and made him Lord of your life. This is rest. It's, it's fully trusting in the Lord, like Naomi and Ruth have to do at the end of chapter three. There's nothing that they can do but trust. Nothing that they can do but, but rest in that. When we go to bed at night, it, it might you might be one of those people that takes you a while to kind of unwind, to, to relax, right, for the tension of the day to dissipate. But at some point, your body fully trusts that bed. It fully rests. Your, your rest is, is built on, on, on trusting that that bed is a good place for you to, to sleep. As a dad, one of my favorite things when, when my kids are little is, is when they'd fall asleep on me. Like, I just... I love holding my kids when they're, when they're like snoring away on my shoulder. Um, our youngest uh, to this day, like if she is in the car in the afternoon, there's a chance that she's going to fall asleep, even on a 10 minute drive. Like she's just always been that way. She's, I think she's grown out of it, but pre pandemic, we'd have all these sporting events that, that we'd go to uh, for some of our older kids after school. And, and we'd drive, you know, just five, 10 minutes to their school. And sure enough, Maddie's out. And I go and I'd unbuckle her and I'd get her out of her car seat and, and man, she's, she's sleeping. So I lug her on my shoulder and, and somehow like a, a, a body that's asleep, I swear it weighs more than a body that's awake. And, and so I carry her and I'm not exactly being gentle because I want her to wake up so that she sleeps tonight for me. So I'm like, jostling around. I'm not being quiet. I'm walking up into the stands. I'm saying hi to people. My kid does something good. I, I cheer like I'm loud at a game. And man, she just sleeps. And she, she just, she trusts me. Now, if it were possible for someone to carry me while I was asleep, it wouldn't work well. Uh, at some point, I'm going to wake, my wake myself up. Like I'm not going to allow myself to rest because I don't trust some adult carrying me around when I'm sleeping. Man, do, do we trust the Lord? Do we rest in him? If you haven't trusted in the Lord, who are you going to find more worthy than Yahweh to trust? I just encourage you, turn to him today. Right. Learn to trust him. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28. He said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. I don't know the details of, of everyone's life over the last couple of years, but I'm sure it's been trying. Are you ready to trust in Jesus? Isaiah 55, six and seven says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. But the rest that God gives to those who turn to him isn't just this rest from hard circumstances in this life. No, it's, it's rest from the emptiness that we have in our souls, from the isolation, the, the alienation that, that we experience from God. God gives us this rest by trusting 
in Jesus, the Redeemer, to deliver us. There's a word that, that came up in this chapter again. It's a word I talked about in chapter 1. We see it in 1, 8, 2, 20, 3, 10. It's this word uh, often translated in our Bibles as kindness. The, the word is hesed. And we don't have a word in English that, that translates it well. It, it would be like five or six words, right? It would have to be like kindness, love, faithfulness, loyalty, uh, compassion, grace, mercy, and probably some other words that I'm forgetting. So usually when this word is used in the Old Testament, it's to describe God's love for his covenant people. But there are times like we see here in Ruth where it's, it's describing how God's people love others. It's this picture that, that God loves his people this way and that God's people are to love others with this love from God that they've been given. They're, they're this, this conduit, this pipeline of God's love. And are we the conduit of God's love? to his people. We've seen that, Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Next week, we get to see the resolution to this story and the ending that none of them saw coming. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for such a simple story that so clearly illustrates how great our God is, how loving and compassionate, how caring our God is. Lord, I thank you for the example of the integrity of, of Ruth and Boaz. Lord, and I pray for us as a body that, that we would be a people. Yes, we will stumble, we will fall. But Lord, I pray that we would strive to be obedient to you, not to earn anything. We know we can't do that, but just, just to tell you that we love you, Lord. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we can come together today and, and hear from your word. And we pray that, that you would change us, God, that we just wouldn't be the same as we entered the building today, but, but we, would, we would grow in trusting you and resting you in loving you and loving people for you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.